Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alexander, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Tree Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Why don't you give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. And if you use the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. And yeah. that area code happens to be 225. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that coincidental? <laughs> Yeah, always appreciate calls. Of course, if you don't, we'll just sit here and yak our yeah, we got a norm couple, pattern. There you go. We got, got a couple, couple topics in the back little, of our mind. Yeah, a little threat there. If you don't call in, you have to listen to that. But, uh, you know, whatever, however it goes. You know, we got a, I see we got an email there that brought up a good point. And I get a lot of email from folks all around the country. And a lot of it is kind of repetitive, the same sorts of questions. But I thought that one brought a particularly good point up. Yeah, uh, Mr. Carlos from New Mexico has a... 2014 ford raptor and he was wanting to change the coolant in it Mm -hmm. and he found this specification of the amount of coolant that goes into the engine and when he drained it he didn't get all of it didn't get that amount out and what his question was was how do i get the rest of it out and you know like we were explaining to him the best thing to do is to catch it before it goes to a city well that is the reason why if you ever look at the maintenance schedule on most vehicles they'll give you anywhere from five up to ten years to change the coolant out uh-huh. now the problem with that is when you push coolant out that far it is 100 percent totally depleted and doing damage to the car right you can never get 100 percent of it out unless you take the motor out of the car turn it over empty it out and that's i mean basically that's the only way disassemble the car to get 100 percent of it out of there so the key point is if you would just change it a little bit sooner before it is 100 percent depleted then the amount that remains in, you can get a lot of it out. Right. The vehicles that allow block drain plugs, some of them do, some of them don't. If you have a block drain plug, you can drain more of it out. In some cases, you can knock one of the core plugs out if that's practical. But yeah, a lot of times, I really don't like doing that. Yeah, I mean, it's you end up with other problems driving right. that. But the other option, of course, is change the coolant twice, change Correct. it, run Let it for it a while, drain it again, redo it again. And each of these will get more and more of it out, but you're not ever going to get 100% of it out of there. Not without a total disassemble. So the point is, if you don't wait until it is 100% depleted, go ahead and change that coolant out the first time around, no more than five years. Uh-huh. And then every three years thereafter, because the first job, when GM put it or Chrysler or Ford or whoever, whoever put it together, everything was brand new. The everything engine was, block was new. The radiator was new. The hose was new. The coolant was new. Everything was clean. Everything was clean. It right. all went together as one good, big, nice, clean thing. So that will probably last about five years. Right. However, when you go in and start changing it, you're not getting 100% of the coolant out. And even if you are, the radiator is not new anymore. The Correct. engine block is not new. The hose is not new. There's some corrosion that has started. There's some sediment that has gotten into it. And all that stuff tends to fall in the lowest places. That's right. And, and it just cannot be gotten out of there. So the point is, you want to shift to about a three-year change interval thereafter. Sure. And it's sort of like everything we talk about every single week. Why would I do this? Because it is cheaper than not doing it. Correct. That is the only reason we advise any of this stuff is because it is going to cost a whole lot less than not doing it. And if we don't do it, Let's say we just go ahead and push our coolant out 10 years. Okay. All of a sudden, we start losing coolant. We bring it into the shop. Well, the heater core is leaking. Well, why is the heater core leaking? Because the coolant pH is at about 6.5. It's acid and it ate the heater core up. Okay, well, let's change the heater core. Okay, well, we've got to pull a dash out of the car. You're talking $1,500, $1,800 to change this sure. heater core out. Sure. And that's not the end of it. because well, but, you, you can neglect to bypass it at that point. Mm-hmm. 
So let's just say we bypass the heater core. Right. Okay. We then the radiator put, goes out. Then the radiator goes out. We change the radiator. Then the water pump goes out. Right. We change the water pump. Well, and then the radiator goes one, out again. Or one of the heater, uh, one of the core plugs behind Fine. the engine block between the transmission and motor starts leaking because right. it's eating through from the inside. Well, now the Where engine's got to come out of the car. Transmission's got to come out of the car, one or the other. Right. Where and, do you stop? Yeah. It just the the whole point is all of this could have been prevented sure just by replacing the coolant before it became acidic and before the corrosion protection was depleted Mm -hmm. you know a lot of people look at coolant and they still call it antifreeze which not freezing is one function of engine coolant correct but it also cools the engine and more more importantly it protects all these active metals that we have in an engine today Back in the days when we had cast iron engine blocks, cast iron cylinder heads, and big, copper radiators yeah, and copper heater cores, radiators. it was probably less important because these were all inert sort of metals. They were very, very robust. They were very sure. heavy duty, and it didn't react so much. But one of the reasons we have cars now that get such good gas mileage is because they've cut the weight of the car. And, and one of the ways they cut the weight of the car is by using a lot of aluminum. Engine blocks are generally aluminum now. Right. Cylinder heads are aluminum. Radiators are aluminum, and heater cores are aluminum. Aluminum is a very active metal. If you take an active metal and you put an acidic liquid on it circulating around, you create a battery. Sure. And what happens with a battery is one part's the anode, one part's the electrode, and it's producing electricity, and it starts eating away the metal to do it. That's basically how corrosion works. We've been able to take a voltmeter and open the coolant system, take one lead and drop down in the coolant and touch the engine block Mm -hmm. to the other side. Right. And you'll see a voltage being produced. Yeah, you can see up to half a volt coming out of it. And that's basically what you do is you're looking at your engine block being eaten away here. Sure. Because the metal being eaten away is what's producing this flow of electrons. That's where the electrons are coming from. And again, I don't mean to get into a whole chemistry <laughs> lesson here, but there are articles on my website. If you just type in the word electrolysis right. or something like that. We have lots and lots and lots of articles on there. Now, in the, the old days, you had one kind of coolant. Basically, you had the old green coolant which was and a phosphate silicate type stuff and then they came out with something else but it really didn't matter too much but today we have a huge huge number of coolants and basically all of them are either ethylene glycol or propylene glycol so the freeze side is the same on all of them sure however the corrosion protection strategy is, is totally, totally different. different on each one and we're going to get into that in just a minute why right. it's important not to mix those coolants we got jim online good morning jim Hey, good morning, guys. I got three vehicles, 01 Camaro, 97 Toyota, a little pickup, mm-hmm. and a 02 Chevy Silverado. And when I put gas in them, none of the caps go whoosh like in the old days. Is that a problem? No, they shouldn't do that, Jim, because what's happening, you have an evaporative emission system on it. What that whoosh was was the pressure of the fuel. And as you take petroleum and you shake it around, it produces pressure. And when you take the cap off, you'll vent in the tank. Well, these are all vented electronically now through the evaporative emission system. Even your 97 would have that on it. And it's got a charcoal canister, which when the engine is off, it's going to store the fumes. And then when the engine starts at some point, it's going to close the vent solenoid, open a purge solenoid, suck the fumes out, and burn them up in the engine. It just doesn't allow them to go out into the atmosphere anymore. Now, that being said, that canister is only for vac- uh, fumes. Fumes, yes. It does not handle liquid. No, no gas liquid in it at all. Right. And where Brian is going with that, a lot of times, I know, like, I hate to stop for gas. So when I would stop for gas, I would fill it up. When the nozzle would cut off, i just keep putting gas in until it was all the way up to the top of the filler neck. And pretty soon, my check engine light popped on, and it was the charcoal counter. So I took it out, and it weighed about 10 pounds because it was full of gas. 
And oh, boy. what yeah. happens when that nozzle cuts off the first time, mm-hmm. you need to stop right there. If not, you're going to end up buying a charcoal canister, which on some cars could be very expensive. Sure. And in the labor to get to them. Some yeah. of them are underneath, like Toyotas, they're under the suspension cross member in the back. So yeah. you've got to drop the cross member out, change the canister, put the cross member back in, and then realign the rear of the car. Yeah, I mean, that can end up a thousand dollar repair bill from putting too much gas in the tank. And, you know, that really doesn't have anything you're asked about, but it's just kind of a collateral right. little question there that we see a lot. But yeah, when that nozzle cuts off the first time, stop putting gas in it. I learned that the hard way, and so I quit doing it. It never happened again. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you guys. I learned something new. All right, Jim. All right. Thanks, man. Bye bye. All right. 291 6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would sure love to have you. And you know that expl- that explanation of how the, the system vents is was right dead on. Back in the day when you used to put gas in a car, it, it would vent to the atmosphere right out through the cap. Right. And. The way the pumps are set up now, they have a vapor recovery system on them, and the older cars that vented through the the caps will not fill up like the new cars do. Mm-hmm. You have to leave an air gap for the air to come right. out as you're putting the fuel in on the older vehicles. Well, now. in many states, what you'll notice on your nozzle, you'll be like a plastic hose, a right. shaped hose that goes down and seals against the base of the, of the uh, filler, filler neck. neck. And yeah, that is sucking the fumes out as, because when you put 20 gallons of gas in a car, 20, 20 gallons, gallons of vapor of comes out. <laughs> right. And that gas vapor going into the air is not the best thing in the world. So they've come up with means to, and not every state has that. I know as I travel around, yeah, I'll see it in some states and not in other states. And I don't know what regulates it or how it's regulated or if it's regulated, but I know mm. some pumps have it, some pumps don't have it. But yeah, the whole means of venting a gas tank, which is a fairly simple function. Right has become a very 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 complex function oh yeah i'd say probably 50 percent of the check engine lights we get i have something to do with, something the evap to do with or... that system right and you know it's funny people come in and say well i had a check and it's the evap system so okay that doesn't tell that doesn't matter <laughs> now much because the evap system pretty much it's covers pretty the complex, entire yeah. car hey we're going to talk more about that and more about engine coolants and the different types of stuff as soon as we get back one quick little break and we'll be right back Kate, we can shop tomorrow. I'm off to Agco for my car's general inspection. I take it once a year so the team at Agco can catch any potential problems before they become huge repairs down the road. You know, things like small rattles and shakes can become issues and you never can be too... A general inspection each year would be great for my marriage. Kate, thanks for bringing David in for his general inspection. Overall, he's in pretty good shape for an older model. I replaced his sensitivity regulator, which was getting a little worn. His not listening to my partner and leave the seat up lights were both about to come on, so I fixed that. As far as preventive maintenance, more fiber, less beer, and watch his portion control, especially on the weekends. And thank goodness for Agco. Kate? Kate, are you listening? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Sounds like a general inspection from Agco can improve my marriage. I I mean vehicle. Uh, Improve my vehicle. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. We were talking a little bit about engine coolants and the reason for changing the engine coolants. Sure. Well, such as that. Of course, we'll take a call. Any automotive topic you got on your mind. There you go. We never limit it to whatever we happen to be talking about that particular day. Right. Pretty open-minded fellas here. <laughs> <laughs> if you look today, you're going to see engine coolants anywhere from pink 
to orange to yalla yalla green the traditional green green even blue. there's there's some special greens now there's uh, yeah a special green and and so on is that i mean there's probably 25 or 30 different coolants i can think more. right off hand ford has four yeah just right off the top of my just head in common general use yeah ford you could have the vc7b which is yalla, yalla. you could have the, there's an the orange. orange there's still some of the green around right and now there's, there's another there's one a, there's a specialty green yeah so i mean there's just lots and lots of them and from a standpoint of an automotive shop it is very expensive to stock all these different types of coolants sure and a lot of shops have gone to these universal coolants and i don't think that's in the customer's best interest i don't either because if you ever study a little bit about the different types of coolants the way they work in just very very general terms you have a silicate type protection which uses silicates to protect the metals you have a phosphate type protection strategy where the phosphates attach to the metals and do things there's an organic acid technology which etches the metal. There's a hybrid organic acid technology. And that's just four of them. There's probably right. more than that. The point is, even though they may all be ethylene glycol, the metal protection strategies are They're totally different. different. And some of these things, like your organic acid strategies, it takes a while for those to establish themselves. They right. go in, they etch the metal, they form a protective coating on the metal which protects it. It's sort of like, if you ever notice some of the bridges they build now, they don't paint them, and the metal they, rusts to a certain degree, and that rusting prevents further, further rusting. rusting. And it's a controlled process they're using, and it's sort of like that. The point is, if you go in and you drain all that out and put in a different type of coolant with a different type of strategy, then all of that's got to get undone, and then the new strategy has to take over if it works with this particular car. Correct. Another problem is that the way they seal water pumps has changed a lot over the years. They went from a urethane seal, excuse me, from a neoprene seal mm-hmm. to a urethane seal and to like a ceramic seal and on and on. And some of these, like the silicates in the coolant, can eat up the seal in the water pump. So what they did when they re-engineered this water pump, they re-engineered the coolant to go with it. Sure. And the point is, so long as you put back what came what, what came in it all works together as a system and it works pretty well as a system so all the time people say, well can i use the universal coolant there is only one reason that anybody could ever give me why they would ever want to do that and they say well because it's cheaper mm. but again is it really cheaper yeah i mean because if initial- you eat up a water pump have you, that three dollars a gallon four dollars a gallon you whatever saved, it is you yeah. saved is gone pretty darn fast oh yeah Especially so, on some of these little front-wheel drive cars, the water pumps back behind the timing belt. I've seen cars where it takes five mm. to six hours sure, labor to get to the water pump. Sure. I mean, some of them are a lot easier, but some of them are not. And then, again, if it eats up a heater core, well, then that's a much bigger deal. I tell you what, though, if you've ever seen the backside of the firewall mm-hmm. out of, of a vehicle, you will definitely think twice about taking care of everything that's underneath that dash. Well, that's right, and it's just easier to go ahead and get the right coolant, the one engineered for the car. Will the universal stuff work? Maybe. I don't know. Will the one that's designed for it work? Yes, Yes. it will. And That question is answered yes every time, just like that. And the thing is, Americans spend inordinate amounts of money on insurance sure they buy extended warranties they buy life insurance they buy all these insurance policies to avoid risk Mm -hmm. but then to save three dollars on a gallon of coolant they go buy some 
junk at a big box store, put in a car, and end up tearing up a thousand dollars worth of stuff. Right. Yeah, just kind of a contradiction. Conflict, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just don't see a reason for it. Now, I do see why a lot of shops push the universal coolant and say it's okay because they do not want to have to stock it. and i gotta say uh, we got a stock of it we stock Man. a lot of coolants and it costs us a lot of money to keep all these coolants just for the vehicles we work on just for the ones we work on i don't even work on european cars that right. brings in a whole nother <laughs> exactly genre of stuff but i remember a guy asking me he says i've got a jaguar and they've got this clear coolant and it's i don't know 80 90 a gallon uh-huh and would it be okay to put something else? So, well, that's the choice you got to make. Sure. But I'm going to tell you, that car's got a pretty expensive cooling system on it. That 80 or $90 may look real cheap when you start changing <laughs> ISO. So I'm yeah. not going to put the wrong stuff in there. Exactly. And, you know, I don't know how any shop could justify from a standpoint of liability. For instance, if they do put the wrong coolant in the car and in a massive corrosion problem, comes start, on yeah. and starts costing thousand dollars in repair and somebody goes back and says, look you put the wrong coolant in here i don't know yeah you, who, you know, who's at fault who's at fault and then of course the shop's gonna say well you asked me to and and the customer say well i was relying on you to tell me and yeah it round 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 it goes but the point is it's just a risk avoidance sure. thing i can see certain things where a lower price product makes some sense you know if it's something where the ramifications of using this product are pretty low Chris, we've talked before about some of the taillight lenses sure. from General Motors might cost $200 for this little red plastic taillight lens. And you can go online and buy them for $35. Okay, well, it's probably not built as well as the $200 one GM sells. It's right. probably not going to last as long. But worst case scenario, it's going to crack in a few years or it's going to discolor in a few years and you can change it again. But you could change it 10 times. Exactly. And still be, and it's very easy to change. It's not going to hurt anything else. In that case, sure, why not? Sure, as long as it, it doesn't cause any more problems. A huge savings that doesn't cause anything else, doesn't cost a tremendous amount of labor to change out. In some cases, going with a less expensive product makes sense. Sure. And I got to admit, I will, I will advise people on that sometimes. And on the flip side of that coin, you may not want to do that with a headlight because the labor to get to that headlight assembly may be two or three hours. Or at least. And the thing is, if you put the wrong bulb in it and it ends up burning up a body control module or something because it's drawing too much amperage. There you go. So you have to be able to weigh out all the different ramifications, all the possibilities before you start making substitutions. And never more, in my opinion, than with coolant. because. Sure. We see the cars that are in just a horrible condition. Someone has changed the coolant improperly a year or two ago. Mm -hmm. Now they've got a corrosion or worse, an electrolysis problem going on. They are spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars, cannot figure out what's wrong, and then they're bringing it to me and asking me to resolve the problem. Well, in some cases, all you can say, you know, this is like some medical problems. They can't be cured. All they can do is treat it. It's done. We can go in and treat it. Like, once electrolysis forms, that's where the system is starting to produce electricity. It can be the devil to ever, ever, sure. ever cure that problem. You can treat it by replacing the coolant, putting the right coolant in there. In some cases, you may have some grounds that are having some transient problems where they're in and they're, they're adding to it. But you may or may not be able to cure this problem. You may just be able to treat this problem. Right. So like gum disease, you can't cure it. You can just treat it. And if you treat it, you can keep your teeth. Yeah, but you're gonna have to keep going through these treatments. If you let that cooling system get out of control, you may get into a situation like that. So where is all that going? Well, 
why do we recommend changing the coolant every three years? Because it's cheaper. Sure. It's going to save you money. By the time you find out it's too late, it's too late. I mean, you can total out a, a vehicle you really You can easy. literally total a vehicle because the coolant goes through so many different expensive components. And if it etches the a head surface on some of these aluminum heads, right. well, on a higher mileage engine, you basically total the car because it's not worth putting a set of heads on this engine and so now you into an engine and the engine costs more than the cars were yeah so you just basically total the car out you, know, you got coolant leaking into your cylinders check engine light popping on for a misfire burn up the cats yeah yeah it goes through knocks Bell out stuff. a set of catalytic converters well i mean you've pretty much totaled the car out at sure. that point so that's the reason you want to treat all this stuff before it gets out of control now it's not enough just to go in like you did maybe one time in in the past and drain the coolant out and pour some more coolant in take a garden hose and fill the radiator up yeah that, that that's just, a big that no just no won't get it done in fact that may create far more problems than not changing it at all right you might be better off just leave it alone if that's the way you're going to do it you're introducing more chemicals than the system was designed to use right you know city water depending on where it's located has minerals it has phosphates in it it has fluorides it has chlorine it has a lot of undesirable chemicals in there so you don't want to put city water into the cooling system correct number one you want to use a distilled water something that's clean to start with and you want to pre-mix the coolant and the water unless your coolant comes as a pre-mix right now a lot of that can be bought as pre-mix i know toyota honda i think ford has a pre-mix if i'm not mistaken but when you buy it you buy the gallon already pre-mixed to the correct amount to put right into the vehicle right and the only disadvantage there is you're paying a whole lot of money for, for water for, water, for half a gallon of water 50 percent water but i know the reason toyota and honda went to that is because so many people were dumping city water in the cars causing huge cooling system problems they said well we'll just make it with mm-hmm. the right stuff already in it already pre-mixed right or incorrect mix or incorrect mix that's another thing because the water cools the engine sure but the coolant protects, protects. it from corrosion and there is a right amount of coolant to water ratio. Mm-hmm. More is not better. Right. <laughs> you know, there is a correct amount. And in 99% of the United States, that is going to be 50 50 mix 50% water, 50% coolant. That's going to give you all the protection from freezing and all that. If you live in just a bitterly cold area, right? I mean, you live up in northern Alaska somewhere, you might want to go with a 60 40 with 60% coolant, but. Again, you just need to do the math on it because there's little charts that show you what the freeze protection all is. That is generally not going to be needed. Just putting more coolant, you know, hell, just hail Mary, let's do it. Mm-hmm. It's not going to give you anything extra. It's right. not going to increase anything, and it can cause, cause problems. Problem. So, like I say, just because some's good doesn't mean more is better. There's a correct amount, and you want to pre-mix that before you put it into the engine. Correct, because. In many cases, it will not mix in the engine. And we're going to talk about that once we get back from our second little break. Got a whole lot more. Welcome. I am the great fondue, automobile fortune teller. Sit. I'm hoping you can tell me if I have any big car repairs looming in my future. Ah, I see you among many cars, stopping and going. Yeah, Baton Rouge traffic. Now you're making a left turn. Hands, ten and two. Nice form. Uh, thanks? Now you're stopped at a light. Look, you're just naming things I do every day. I want to know if my car is going to break down anytime soon. If you're hoping to gaze into your car's future, Agco suggests bringing in your vehicle once a year for a general inspection. Agco gives 
gives you an honest opinion on the maintenance needed to keep your car running and save you money on big repairs in the future. Craig Fondue, you should try another profession instead of a car fortune teller. Well, I was a mechanic at one of those quickie lube places, and believe me, I'm actually a better fortune teller. Well, that's scary. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Why don't you give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. And that's what Donnie did. Good morning, Donnie. Good morning, fellas. Good morning. Listen, I brought in a probe Tuesday. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, Louis, I don't think you were there. I think you had already left. Mm-hmm. And I think y'all looked at it the next day. And the, the receptionist gave me some some information about mm-hmm. what was said about it, but I I was just trying to catch you today, today to to uh, find out a little bit more about it. Yeah, I wouldn't have any information on it, Don. You'd have to call me at the shop after that time to look at the file because I hadn't been back to the shop since then. Just couldn't, oh, okay. couldn't tell you anything. Oh, okay, okay. Let me just ask you this: mm-hmm. Can the timing be off and still start? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what would that affect? Uh, could cause check engine light. Could depend on what year model it is and all that. How sensitive it is. How far it, it's off. Yeah, how far it's off and all that. Fuel mileage go down. Misfires. Rough idle. Rough idle. Cam codes. It just yeah. depends. It's all a matter of degrees. Okay. What about like power loss? Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. All right. Cause I think I'm having that but kind I, of issue. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of things cause power loss besides the timing che- time right. belt out of time. Right. You could have a stopped-up converter, which would give you a power loss. Yeah, low fuel pressure. Low fuel pressure. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. So you just, you know, you'd have to test for that particular situation. But if the timing is off, and you know, timing doesn't ordinarily just get off, it would be off because something else is wrong. Either the timing belt or timing chain has stretched or jump time or you know, one of the tensioners has failed or something like that. So something causes it. So you'd have to go in and find out what's the cause of it being off. It's not like the old days we had a distributor, you just turned it and it got off. You know, that, that doesn't happen. It's all basically sealed in, all built into the design of the engine, and the computer controls it. Well, in this case, it would probably be something like a little bit inexperienced because I did throw a water pump on it. Okay. And that's the uh, that's the, uh, 2.5 V6 mm-hmm. and the 94 Probe. Okay, yeah, it's probably got a Mazda motor in it, probably. Yeah, and so... Did run into a little issue about that. Yeah, well, the first yeah. time I put it back together, it if wouldn't you, crank. Yeah, if you got it one tooth off or, or something like that, yeah, you definitely have a loss of power and possibly even some overheating. Depending, you would have to, you know, you'd have to get the specifications and the. the what am I trying? To yeah, say? It, it's really kind of difficult. You almost got to pull the time cover and all back oh, yeah, off just definitely. to check it. You know, it's not like you could put a timing light on or something right. like in the old days. Or most of them don't even have timing marks on them. And you'd have to get the service data out, is what I was trying to say, yeah, and see how it see goes. See how it goes. See where everything's supposed to line up. There are some marks underneath that cover that the pulleys and everything line up to. Sometimes it's on the belts. You just have to get service data out, look at them, see figure how that out how the engine right sets up, and so you you can misroute like one of the tensioners, one of the roller pulleys, and and that can also throw it off. You know, a number of things can get it off. Okay. Well, when I did get it back together the second time, mm-hmm. now the engine start. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't hit right away, you know, I mean, it spent a, a few seconds longer than usual, and it ran a while. Uh, now, since the car had been sitting a while, it chattered a good little bit for about, I don't know, good 10 minutes maybe or less, until it all caught up with it, and then it ran smooth. So the engine ran real smooth, mm-hmm. but I noticed when I put it in gear that it didn't have the power, Yeah, pulling power. 
Well, so, it, it, could def- it could very well be off. I mean, I wouldn't jump yeah. to the conclusion that's the problem without knowing, but, I mean, that certainly would be one thing that, that all that would cause. And see, after it runs for a while, the computer's going to start trying to allow for it. It's going to adjust other stuff to try to make it run better. So it may smooth out some, but it's just not going to have any power. Yeah, okay, because it did run real smooth, and I was checking it to make sure that uh, the water pump was functioning properly and mm-hmm. and the thermostats was opening. And, 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 uh, so all of that was working fine because I was watching my dashboard. Yeah, it's not overheating anymore? Not overheating. It's getting to the normal state, and everything mm-hmm. else is showing real good. Yeah, uh, it's probably pretty close. I mean, it might be one tooth off or right. something. That'll, I mean, one tooth will significantly reduce the engine power, and it may run pretty well other than that. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, right. that is a possibility. I wouldn't say that's the only possibility because, I mean, again, could have a totally separate problem. You know, you, you, you have a catalytic converter starting to plug up, does the same exact thing. Our fuel pump is getting weak and the fuel pressure drops. It's got enough fuel pressure at idle, but when you give it the gas, it's going to, you know, bog down because it doesn't have enough pressure to fire those injectors off. All right, okay. Except for the fact that I had that water pump problem. I mean, I didn't run the car that much. It only, had about 50, only has about 50, 52,000 miles on it. Mm-hmm. And for that, you know, for that year. Yeah, that's pretty bad, though. A car's been yeah. sitting up like that. It's liable to have all kind of collateral issues just because cars don't like to sit. That's probably the worst thing you can do to them. Okay. I, I'd much rather see that car with 150,000 miles oh, on it. Oh, yeah, or more. Okay. All right. Well, uh, that's basically what I wanted to know all about right, the timing. Man. Thank all right, you, Donnie. Thanks, man. All right. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to park the automobile, we'd love to have you. That's one of those things you can get timing off. And when you're talking about a four-cylinder, it's bad enough. But like on a V6, I've seen one bank one, be off. Right. And the other bank is correct, and it really, really gets oh, confused. It wreaks then. havoc with it. And you'd be amazed at some of the codes it can generate. It may generate a cam timing code, which is pretty straightforward. But sometimes it'll generate something like an oxygen sensor code. Sure, because the, the mixture's off. Right. You've got too much oxygen remaining in the exhaust on the bank. It's not running well. So it may set a bank to oxygen sensor code. I was just fixing to say it's going to set an oxygen sensor code to that bank. Right. And, you know, you say, okay, well, oxygen code must be a bad sensor. Put a new sensor in there. Same code. Same code. Yeah. Or, or worse yet, you put one new sensor, and now the two sensors don't match each other, so it throws the code <laughs> on both banks. And so you change the other sensor, and you're just getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And sure. the point is, it was out of timing. And if you run around for any length of time, you could end up taking out the catalytic converter because the exhaust valve and intake valve is not opening properly to the event. Then a lot more fuel is going out through the exhaust. So if you run around for a while, you end up taking out the catalytic converter, and then you get it all fixed. The light pops back on again, PO420, and the cat's bad. Right. So it just goes on and on and on and on again. That's one of those things that if you're going to attempt to change a water pump on a timing belt engine or something like that, you need to have all the information at sure. hand. That's not just going to be a bolt-unbolt thing. And those little Mazda engines are extremely bad about that. I know some of the later model ones, the crankshaft pulley doesn't even have a key in it. It's right. got it's a got diamond, diamond washer that holds it in place, which you have to change each time, or it'll slip and throw you back out of time. And it requires all kinds of special apparatus and stuff to get all the timing back correct on it. A lot of the vehicles nowadays have special tools. A lot of Ford engines tools. especially have special stuff to time those cams and stuff on them and i don't know why they went to that so just putting little dots on it like they always did in the past but or a keyway you know keyway. Why, why go with a diamond shaped washer when you, a keyway works you know yeah I, there's some re- <laughs> they did it for some reason the reason is i don't know yeah yeah but i'm i don't know you see that an awful lot where an engineer will come up with something i guess it sounded like a good idea at the time 
and he maybe couldn't see all the ramifications right. of it. But I remember we had a little Mazda come in, and the lady ran it low on oil. Okay. And it wasn't low enough so that it damaged the engine. It didn't burn up the rod bearings or burn up the main bearings, but it was low enough to where the tensioners and stuff lost prime and it, or the cam got hard to turn. Anyway, the pulley slipped. Uh-huh. And when it did, it threw the engine off time. And so, again, it started losing power, generating all kind of codes. And unfortunately, she never related running low at all to the problems she was having. She just started changing parts, swapped out about $1,500 worth of sensors and stuff before she finally brought it in and couldn't find out the engine was off time. Right. Well, how did it get off time? And she finally remembered, well, the all pressure light popped on one time and da 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 da. Okay, well, there you go. Mm -hmm. And we pulled the valve cover off and you could see where the cam had sort of galled it a little right. bit it was still usable but it had galled the bearing slightly which got hard hard to turn and it just caused this thing to slip when it did it got out of time so end up with a fairly significant repair anyway but right. not i guess as bad as a new motor might have been <laughs> but yeah just lots and lots of little stuff like that that can happen nowadays that just never, never really happened in the past right it was always safety guards against it you know like the keyway the keyway is not going to just slip no you're going to have to shear that key for that pulley to well that if that to slip. slips there's going to be a lot of physical evidence that this is happening sure. like i said a sheared off keyway or torn up crankshaft nose or, right. or something to that effect you can be able to look at it and you can say hey something catastrophically failed here but when something does not have a keyway and it's just relying on tension of mm -hmm. another part and it slips then there may not be any evidence that it slipped on the right. fact that you're getting all kinds of weird codes and stuff. And th that sort of stuff, like I said, just happens a lot. People, many times, they think of changing a water pump as a really simple job. Well, and back in the day, it many, used to be. And many times, it even used to today, be. it still is a fairly simple job. But again, you can go real far wrong with something that is seemingly as easy as that. Sure. Particularly if it's driven by the timing belt or driven by the timing chain. And the key is you have to have all of the information at hand to know what you're getting into before you tear it down. Exactly. And, and that's where service data comes in for us. That's right. Because if you can't afford the $5,000 a year for every car you're going to work on, which most people can't, there mm -hmm. are other sources of information out there. It's not like the old days where it's free. You're right. not, not going to get free information. And generally, free information is worth a whole lot less than what you're paying for. Yeah. I've seen people go on the internet, well, such and such. Okay, well, who is such and such? Yeah. What, and, what is his credentials? Yeah. And, and, and how do we know this is right? So you need to get something from a legitimate source that tells you how this works before you go in and start taking it apart because it may not be anything like anything you're used to or anything you've ever seen before. Well, and you know, I've seen things getting taken apart without doing the procedure we were just talking about. And when you get ready to put it back together, say, wait a minute, this won't work. Why won't this work? And then you start looking up service data and say, oh, well, you're supposed to have this special tool that locks it before you take it mm -hmm. apart. Or you're supposed to have this before you take it apart. And now that it's all gone... Yeah. It's really a nightmare to try to put back well, together right. you mentioned before the show, you and I were sitting there talking about the GM product that came in with the ABS unit. You sure. have to take the motor pack off to get the master cylinder off. Right. But you've got to go in with a GM scan tool and relieve the tensions on these little motors because they're trying to turn these valves and all that stuff, and there's tension on them. If you just try to pull this thing apart, and the one's going to be hard to get apart, I guess you could take a screwdriver and pry it you apart. You could probably pry it apart. But, but then all these motors would jump out of time. Right. And... You may, if you try to put it back together, the gears aren't going to line up, and you put the screws in there and crank them down, you could destroy the unit. Sure. Break it or, or bash all the gears up. But there's a procedure for going in before you disassemble it 
relieving the gear tension, and then the screws come right out. The back pack comes off. Comes right apart. Everything works like and it's then, supposed to. And then, of course, to. once you put it back together, then you have to retime the whole assembly. Correct. To tell it where all these little motors are at, because those motors just turn around and around and around. With a factory scan tool. Right. And that's the kind of stuff that you can get yeah. into and, really, and really fast. This was mid-'90s vehicle we yeah. were working on. Yeah, so, well, we're not talking about 2015, 2018. Right. <laughs> this is a, a mid-'90s yeah. Yeah, vehicle. Something as simple as taking the master cylinder off. Right. And it just evolves into all this other stuff. And so if you're not aware of that and you jump in there, you can end up getting into something really, really, really big. And something unknowingly. That apparently was going to be, or, or presumably was going to be fairly small. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you can, you can really get yourself into a whole lot of trouble pretty fast. Hey, we're going to take a one more quick little break and be right back with a whole lot more. So, Madame Babushka, you can tell if my brand new bow and mirror are a good match? Yes. As I gaze into my crystal ball, I see him over a grill. And now he's on the couch watching football, eating a large plate of meat. Mate? Yes, no veggies. Now I see him on a boat, fishing, and then on a deer stand. Fishing and hunting? Yes, I'm afraid so. Wouldn't it be great if you could look into your car's future to see the road ahead? At Agco, you can. Take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. It's the best way to catch any potential problems that could lead to bigger repairs down the road. Ah, it looks like all this man wants to do is watch sports, hunt, fish, and grill. Oh, Madame Babushka, I love all those things. He sounds perfect. Thank you so much. Ah, c'est la vie. My work here is done. Keep your car on the road longer. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between tools, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. We were talking some about coolant, engine right. coolants, and such as that. And another thing that comes to mind is brake fluid, because chemically brake fluid and engine coolants are similar right they're both an alcohol-based type of a fluid they will both go in the same recovery uh, and, system right and they they basically suffer suffer from a lot of the same sorts of problems for instance a lot of people do not realize that brake fluid ages over time mm-hmm. it starts to absorb moisture that's what it's doing that's its job that's the job of brake fluid the reason they use alcohol is so it can absorb any moisture that gets into the system the problem is, at some point, that moisture buildup becomes a problem. The pH on the coolant starts to drop. It starts to become acidic. Plus, the moisture starts attacking all the metal in the system. Right. And you can end up with a big, big, big problem. Now, back in the days when we had metallic brake pads, it wasn't such a big issue because brake pads lasted between twenty and 40,000 miles. And most good shops were going to replace the brake fluid when, when they, they did, this- did the brake service. Right. But with modern cars with ceramic brake pads, if you're an easy driver, you may 100, get 100,000 miles yeah. out of a set of brake pads. That's nothing out of the ordinary. I mean, I got 180,000 on the rear pads on my Buick, and it's still the original pads. And I think really, we put I, one set on the, on the I front. I changed the fronts just because they were getting noisy. Right. They still had half the pad left, but they were just starting to get noisy because they were getting so old. They were starting to squeak, and it aggravated me, so I changed the pads out mm-hmm. on But yeah, they would probably still be going. And the point is, without having to do the brake services like we did before as often now you get a problem of contamination of brake fluid right and the systems today are a lot more complex than they used to be now you have abs units 
that use that same brake fluid, the contamination gets in there and it settles in the bottom or settles in one of the valves or the solenoids or something and takes the unit out. Right. Now you've got a major expense on your hands, and sometimes you can't drive the vehicle because when you push the brake pedal down, the valve has gone and the fluid just bypasses right. internally, internally, and the pedal drops pedal out. Goes for it feels so you, almost like an old map when a map cylinder was going correct. bad before the pedal slowly sinks to the floor. Correct. And unfortunately, with all the other gadgets and gizmos that we've been endowed by the manufacturer with, like the traction control and all that, that all that goes through the many times part and parcel of the same unit sure whereas you may have one component that controls the abs braking controls the trash control controls stability stability track and all that that might be a 2500 to three thousand dollar part very easily and not to mention the labor to put it on or the fact that it probably has to be reprogrammed after you put it on there very 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 expensive thing and problem with brake fluid like i said if it doesn't get changed there's not like a warning light that's going to pop on there's not somebody that's going to tell you unfortunately most manufacturers don't even have it on their maintenance schedule nope like gm has never put change brake fluid on their not, not that maintenance I've seen. Schedule, ever i know a lot of european cars will recommend that honda yep. is pretty big on recommending it a lot of your european cars use a different type of brake use fluid. dot four they use dot four which is more it's more alcohol in it so it absorbs even more moisture correct so it contaminates faster but the point is it used to sort of automatically get changed at every brake service. And when you were doing brake services around 30,000, 40,000 miles, that usually fell around three or four years. Which wasn't a bad deal. Which was not too bad. You really didn't have too, too many issues. But again, with let's say you don't drive the car a whole lot. You're really easy on brakes. And when you do drive it, you drive a lot of highway miles. You could go out eight, ten years. You may go ten years with the original brake fluid in the car. Right. It's become corrosive now. It's starting to attack the metal in the system. Now a caliper or a wheel cylinder, pretty forgiving, is bad enough. But yeah. you know, you talk a few hundred dollars and you, and you fixed again. Master cylinder, maybe a little more, but you start getting in these anti-lock brake control units that have all this additional hardware and stuff attached to them. And many, many times that has to be a new unit because a used unit can't be programmed to the car. Correct. So it's not like you can go get a used one and put on. Some of them you can take the electronic part off of the hydraulic part mm-hmm. and change just the hydraulic part. But that is getting even less nowadays because that was the, the first generation of those that came out. You could take the hydraulic part off. They had components. Right. They were, they were built in components where you had a motor pack and you had a hydraulic module and the two could be separated and you could change one or the other but the newer stuff is not built like that anymore it still looks the same Mm -hmm. it still has the same bolts but they are not serviceable parts anymore well except when you call for the price yeah (laughs) and now you got to buy the whole they got to buy the whole thing i know ford was pretty good about offering the hydraulic control module and Mm -hmm. it was fairly reasonable three four hundred dollars you could get a hydraulic control module we used to change a fair number of those out but when you get to, like, uh, on some of the later model Toyota stuff, that Man. is a single big unit. And, I mean, it it's, is it's, yeah, it's, it's $2,500 range. And the point is, if you replace that brake fluid every three years, you're probably going to head off a problem. Sure. And it's not an extremely expensive thing to have done. You might even be able to do it yourself if you, again, get the service data, look up the bleed procedure. Right. Because make sure if, it's not anything... If weird you, about it if you get out of procedure on some vehicles you will lose a brake pedal pedal will go to the floor and you're not gonna get it back up right i know a lot of your gm pickup trucks with the with active the, braking right if you just go in and start bleeding the brakes like we've always done the pedals each time you pump that pedal it goes lower and lower until right. it's on the floor right and you can't get it back up you've got to get a factory scan tool and run the abs pump 
and try to bleed it out that way. And run and, about a half a gallon of fluid through right, it and or more. Very rarely do they always come back to where they were before. They're always a little low after that. Mm-hmm. So it's best not to let that happen. Yeah, just don't want to let that happen. And, again, it's, it's sort of like the procedure we were talking about before where you get into something with the best of intentions, but you end up creating other no problems, problems for yourself. So, I mean, so long as you understand what you're doing when you do this, if you want to replace your own brake fluid, basically a simple procedure that's going to work on a lot of cars. Mm-hmm. You can go in with something like a little turkey baster or whatever. Right. Suck Some the kind fluid of suction out device. of the master cylinder first. Get that contaminated fluid out because the most contamination will be in the master cylinder. It's exposed to the air the most. Suck that out before you start. Fill it with fresh fluid from an unopened bottle of fluid correct that is the key don't go buy container don't go buy a big old half gallon or gallon can get the little pint bottle because that way you're gonna have a fresh bottle it may take one or two pints to do the car when you're through with it dispose of it right not put the cap on it put it back on the shelf and use it again next time because it's going to contaminate right there inside the the bottle and if you're dumping in your car you're dumping water into your system right but go ahead and get the fresh fluid in the master cylinder. Then, again, look up the bleed procedure. It's not like the old days where you start off on the right rear and you go to the left rear. Some of them start on the left front. Some start on the right front. Some, some start on the cross, rear cross brake. Right. There's cross all, bleed. all sorts of procedures out there. Some cars, you're just not going to be able to bleed right. by that method. Now, um, one more tip. When you are bleeding the brakes, and let's say using the old method where you're pushing the pedal down, opening the bleeder screw, letting it come out, and that sort of thing, be sure you do not push that brake pedal to the floor. Correct. Because when you open that screw, what happens is the pedal can now travel a lot further than it normally does. There is generally a certain amount of corrosion that's going to be built up at the end of the master cylinder just because the piston never normal, travels that far. Normal travel. Mm-hmm. So if you go and you push this old hard piston and uh, seal over this corroded area, probably going to take out the master cylinder sure. and you're going to have to buy a new master cylinder. So get something be it a brick or a piece of two by four your other foot the other foot or just be real careful push it down about halfway and stop open the bleeder screw close the bleeder screw raise the pedal back up wait a few seconds in other words don't get in a big hurry because a lot of times when you do take your foot off the brakes the air that's in the master cylinder will start to bubble up through the reservoir Mm -hmm. it takes a few seconds for these bubbles to come up reach the top and go back into the air if you hit the pedal again too soon, you may You'll suck some right air back right in. back in. You won't be able to get the air out. But again, fresh bottle of unopened brake fluid. Start out by cleaning out the reservoir before you ever start with it. Go ahead and get the bleeding procedure for the car you're working on. And then from there, you can just go through it. Now, that is much, much better than doing nothing at all. But in many systems, it's not going to clean out the ABS unit because Correct. that fluid is static. It doesn't circulate with the rest of the fluid. Well, the fluid goes through it, but the fluid down in the in the cylinder part where does the valves not, are closed and stuff, right, does not flow. So, so you have to cycle the valves to run that contaminated fluid back up into the system to get it to flush out. Which, if you got a factory scan tool, you can sit there and command the valves to sure. function. But if you don't have that, about the next best thing you can do is go ahead and change the fluid one time, take it out, maybe find some gravel uh-huh. or, or something like that where you can apply the brakes real hard and put it into a few anti lock socks. Go ahead and cycle those valves. Then come back and do and it, bleed again. it again. And not the most expedient way to do things, but if you don't have all the tooling and stuff. Well, it puts a little more wear and tear on the brake pads. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, because heating them up in a short distance, 
you've got to give them time to cool down before you get into into another stop like that. Yeah, or you, you don't will want to walk get them the just red hot. Right. So. You don't want to go out there and just run two or three times and then come back. You want to run once. Drive it for a mile or so, let, let, let it cool, back cool off, and do it again, and then come back and flush the fluid the rest of the way out. The second time, yeah, that, and that'll get the vast majority of that fluid it's, out. It's better than doing nothing, like you said. Absolutely. Of course, the best way is if you got if you can bring it to a shop, they can hook a pressure tank to it, run clean fluid through it, cycle, cycle valves, valves on, at the same it time, until it's all clean, and sure, it works out a little bit better that way. So, yep. anyway, that's just a little tip, but don't forget about that brake fluid. It's just as important as the coolant is. Yes, it is. Although. It's not on the maintenance schedules It's anywhere. not on most maintenance schedules. Very few cars have it on there. So yeah. it's one of those things you have to know to look for. I see we're getting low on time here. We're going to start winding on up, getting on out of here. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, find your favorite broadcast service, find a written review, and fill it out for us. There you go. If you can't find a written review on your service, just go to Google and put one for our shop. We appreciate that just as much and do just as much good. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. <laughs>